Amen. So we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. And what Angela read is actually not our text for today. So, so don't worry, I didn't get confused. I'm not going to re-preach Joe's text, but we do need to review it. Because over the next three weeks, what Paul is going to do is work out and, and give us practical examples of how we apply sanctification or, or growing in Christ. So this morning, as, as I was thinking through everything, um, and particularly thinking through thoughts about Memorial Day, I, I wanted to, to just share a thought uh, about holiness and, and about growth and, and wondering about the motivations of people. Uh, my grandfather was a, a World War II veteran. We lost him just over two weeks ago um, to uh, death. It's still fresh and it, it's still heavy. But one of the things that always stood out to me about my grandfather was his value of human life. He, he lived in such a way that he was ready to go. He suffered immensely from arthritis, from blindness, uh, macular degeneration that was caused by his, his role in World War II, all sorts of things. But he always said, I'm going to keep going till God says it's time to quit. And he was useful. He shared the gospel in hospice. Um, he led a hospice nurse to the Lord about two years ago. Um, he checked out a hospice after that. It was interesting. But one of the things that always stood out when it came to life was that he didn't talk about what happened and what he did in the war. He, he apparently had quite a bit of success. Um, he was a queer, apparently quite valiant. We're, we even heard some things that happened maybe uh, in his last days that we didn't know about of him, him jumping off a ship to save someone. But he didn't speak of his actions. And and one time I asked him why, and he shared with me he didn't consider it heroism to take someone's life, even a, a Nazi's life. He valued life. What what guided that moral compass that would think that way? How do you make moral decisions? How how do you live out your faith? How is it in your mind, in, in your soul, that chooses you to patience instead of an outburst of anger, to, to hoard or to be generous, to mock those who disagree with you on social media, or to have a reasoned conversation even if the other person is unreasonable? How do you work through all of that stuff? Today's text is all about those daily little in our mind, decisions. How do we live out our faith in just the normal, everyday grind? And so we're going to be Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 25, but, but I want us to think through and process through a little bit. How do we make those decisions? And what is Paul's model for how we should make those decisions? What is the scripture model for that? I think for most of us, even those of us who claim to be Christians, our answers kind of fall into one of two camps that are not healthy way of making those decisions. The first one is that we feel like we have to work hard so God will like us. I got to do good so God doesn't thump me. But then there's some of us who process very differently. 
God loves me. God likes me. So who cares what I do? It doesn't really matter. It's not that big, but God's got it. He forgave me. Those models, and we would know that. I mean, if we say those, yeah, that's wrong. We, we get it. But I think that's really a lot about how we live. We're either trying to make God happy because we think he's not, or we don't really care because God seems to be happy, so we're going to do whatever we want to. But Paul, in the Scripture, puts on a very, very different way of thinking. And it has to do, and our errors come from us misunderstanding who God actually is. You know, we think of right and wrong, grace, love, salvation, and we kind of tend to think of them as some like entity out there. It's just grace floating around, and God takes some grace, and maybe he gives it to you. Or, or God has this love that he grabs, and he, he throws it your direction. Maybe it's almost like a vending machine in some of our minds. We do the right thing, we punch the right button, and God bends out some salvation to us. But that's not how the Bible presents things. That's not who God actually is. See, moral law, grace, love, all of that, they're not just floating out there in the randomness of space. They are who God is in His very character. The only way we can have a conception of love is because God is in His very being love. The reason God shows grace is not because you're so awesome. It's because He in His very being, is gracious. And salvation, our our saving from our sins, our, our, our rebellion against God, it's not this thing that God bends and just shoots out to you. It's a very expression of Himself. You see, Jesus came, He died for our sins, He rose again, He ascended back to heaven to reign, and by faith and repentance, we can turn to Him and He saves us. But that salvation is not just a chip he gives you. It's not a card to put into your wallet. Salvation is a uniting of you at your deepest, deepest core with Jesus. The the theme of Ephesians is in Christ. We are in Christ. I thought this week... um, saw some news story about uh, some of the, the big affairs in Hollywood that didn't happen. And some people dressed up and all that is really goofy. But the thing that they always say about these, these famous stars or these, these famous people is that they are wearing so-and-so. It's such a big deal. And it's this coveted thing. And they, they, they fight over who's going to get these best designers and these who knows how many thousand dollars ridiculousness of clothes. It's all about who they're in. It's exactly the same, but to an infinite degree more important with salvation. We are saved because we are in Christ. We're united with His very being. When God views the Christian, He views the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not the sin of those folks sitting there in your living room watching the screen. 
So to think that if I do good enough, I'll make God happier and make God like me is ridiculous. If you're in Christ, He sees you as the Son of God. His very Son. The second person of the Trinity with whom there is perfect love forever and ever and ever and there always has been. There is no change in your being. And if you're not in Christ, He sees you as not in His Son. And friend, I'm sad to say and sorry to say, and I say graciously and kindly, He sees you in your sin. And there's nothing you could do to make Him happy. And so if that's you, if you're just exploring these claims of Christianity, I want you to think about that today as we talk about this. These are not moral imperatives actually for you. These are moral imperatives for the Christian to line up with the Savior whom we love. We're we're talking to the, the in crowd here about our morality not beating you up for yours. My word for you is be saved. Trust Christ. Be in Christ. For those of us, again, who are in Christ, we can't make God happier or like us more or love us more. He loves us as Jesus Christ. But but on the converse, if you are in Christ and think you can do whatever you want because it doesn't really matter, that doesn't make any sense. It's like a chicken laying an apple. It, 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 it's incoherent. How could you be in Christ and do things he hates? See, sanctification, growth in Christ, maturity in Christ is all about being in Christ. And the way Paul says that we work this out is directly related to what it is. We're to put off that old self. As Joe said it last week, we're to take off the old clothes. They may be comfortable. We tend to go back to them, that old pair of jeans that's so nice, even though it's ripped out and nasty. And My my wife jokes at me because I have um, jeans that I specifically use for putting on uh, painting caulk. And I, I did this because my grandpa did it. I just wipe. And so these jeans have these white splotches all over, but man, they're comfortable. I love them. And I always want to go back to those because I don't worry about them. I don't care what I get on them. They can't get dirtier than they are. But we do the same thing. We tend to go back to our old clothes. Our old way. Paul tells us to put that off and to be renewed in the Spirit in our minds. We're we're to let the Spirit transform our minds through the taking in of Scripture and the application of that to our daily life and, and learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. And then we're to put on the new self. And, and what is the new self? It, it's Jesus. It's Christ's clothes. It is Christ's righteousness. And so, after that very long introduction, what we're going to do is actually read the text we're getting to today. But without that, It just sounds like some big moral commands. And it's so much more. It's how you live in a daily life in Christ. And without that, you're going to be frustrated 
friend, brother, sister, it won't work. So remember, as, as we, I read this scripture, I want you to think, what am I putting off? What am I putting on? So listen to this now. This is first, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, verse 25. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let, no, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no uncorrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what we're going to do in the rest of this sermon is we're going to work through that pattern. Put off, be renewed, put on. And we're going to apply it to these things of daily life. How do we speak? What do we do with our emotions? What do we do about work? How does all this stuff fit with someone who is in Christ? That's what we're going to do. So you'll see there on your worship guide, if you printed one out, I'd encourage you to do so real quick if you can. But we're going to be filling off a a put on or excuse me, put off this and put on this. And the very first one of those is in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So first, put off falsehood. That's your first blank there. Or if you're just writing this out, you can write it out really simply. Put off falsehood. Put on truthfulness. Put off falsehood, put on truthfulness. Are you a person whose daily conversations are marked by speaking truth in a caring way? Just be a little introspective with me here for a moment. Is your speech, your daily speech with your spouse, with your kids, with your co-workers, are you marked by truth? We need to put off falsehood. Kids, I want to talk to you for a minute, all right? Y'all know I'm missing y'all like nobody's business. I love your smiles. I love your joy. I love your energy. I miss that so, so much. But it's interesting here. The Bible doesn't just say stop telling lies, kids. I, I have experienced with a lot of kids, not just my own, I didn't lie, and so you think you're good. The Bible is so much bigger, and it, it gets so much to your heart, kiddos. Because it doesn't just say stop lying. It says stop falsehood. You know, even if you technically didn't lie to mom about that time you disobeyed, but you hid the truth, you got around the truth, 
You gave your parents a false message. That's falsehood. That's what we are to put off. Maybe it was you, mom and dad, though. Maybe it was you who kind of snuck something by your boss. Snuck something by your spouse. Said, hey, they, we just don't need to deal with that. The Bible here tells us to put off a falsehood in life. See, Jesus is truth. Just like we talked about that He is grace. He is love. Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. But Jesus is truth. And the greatest, perhaps, speech Jesus ever made, He said to His disciples, here's how you are to be saved. Here's what's in store for you. Here's what's coming. Here's the big picture of all eternity. In John 14, 6, he concluded that speech by saying, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said to Pilate just a few days later that he is truth. We need to put on a new way of daily living, of putting on the garments of Christ, of putting on truth. We live as people who are marked by truth. We speak according to what is, and that includes, by the way, speaking of Jesus. Joe talked about last week, and this is so, so important, that we live corban deo, or or in the face of God. We're completely seen, and we're to see things clearly. So it's an outpouring of who we are in Christ to be truthful. So let me encourage you to put off falsehood and think about who Jesus is and put on truthfulness. Now, now note what Paul says here, because some of y'all just felt like you got a free reign to let everybody know what it is. Look what he says, for we are members of one another. This is not a brash, angry shoving of truth down people's throats, whether they like it or not, like what some of your social media pages look like. We're members. We we are a church who care about each other. We speak the truth in love, as Paul said in another place. We have a great care and burden for our brothers and sisters, our neighbors and friends. So we speak truth but knowing we're members of one another. So the first thing, put off falsehood and put on truthfulness. Second, put off emotional outburst and put on self-control. Verses 26 and 27. Let me say that again so you all can write it down. Put off emotional outburst and put on self-control. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So he speaks here specifically of anger. And um, I know that anger obviously gets us in trouble more than many other emotions. I've never heard of someone yell at someone else because they're happy, right? We tend to sin in our anger more than many emotions. But I think, I think Paul's example here of anger 
is to help us understand that, that our emotions, our emotional outbursts are still to be brought into check. Even real emotions. He says be angry. He doesn't condemn emotions. Don't, don't hear that. Don't think we're supposed to be wa- robots walking around. But he condemns emotional outbursts. We're to put off letting the emotions go and take control of our actions. I can't tell you the number of times that I have sat moments after saying something stupid and hurtful. Why in the world did I do that? Emotions just took over and run, ran away. I want you to think back with me if, if you remember the story of, of the first two brothers in the Bible. Adam and Eve's first two kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain gets upset at Abel. God accepts Abel's offering because his heart is right. And Cain is bitter and grumpy. So God does not accept his offering. And God comes to Cain and says, Why is your face downcast? Just do right. But if you continue in sin, the devil's waiting like a lion behind a door to devour you. Our emotions are great tools, but they're also great dangers. Cain grabbed a rock and beat his brother to death because his emotions were not under control. I want you to, again, put that off. We put off emotional outbursts, but look at how we're to live. I want you to think of Jesus the night before he was crucified. If there was any time for anyone to ever have emotions, fully knowing you are about to die and you are going to bear the sins and guilt of every human that's ever lived. So if you can imagine just the cumulative guilt of your own life and then multiply that by who knows how many millions, Jesus had that on him. And think about what he did. He washed Judas's feet. He knew this man is going to betray me and it's going to end up getting me beaten, killed, humiliated, and put in misery. And his emotions were under check and he was gracious and kind. Think about what he prayed hours later. It says he was so emotional, so overwhelmed, he was sweating drops of blood, and he prays, not my will, but my Father's be done. Jesus had such control over his emotions. It's not that he was sweating blood. It's not that emotions weren't there. He was not a stoic. But he had self-control. We're to put off emotional outbursts and put on self-control. Parents, I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. I know they did that again for the 3,000th time. But the question is, do you love your kids enough to hold your cool? But, but really, the question is do you love Jesus enough to hold your cool? Students, 
Y'all have had a weird year. I know there are so many rituals, so many structures, so many traditions, so many expectations. They're, they've just gone out the window. And I, I am sorry for that. I, I hurt for you in that. But will you let your emotions lead to outbursts of sin? Or will you take advantage of these struggles and not waste these struggles to learn self-control? Will you be angry and not sin? Be, be holy. What will your life be marked by, students? So first, we're to put off falsehood. And we're to put on truthfulness. But second, we're to put off emotional outbursts and then put on self-control. And third, starting in verse 28, we're to put off laziness and put on a generous work ethic. Let me read this again. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I know when we probably first read this, some of y'all thought, at least I'm good on that one. I ain't a robber. But just like I think Paul is talking probably more about than just anger. This is a bigger picture than holding up the grocery store. It's a, a way of living. There are sins and old ways, and there are people who literally steal things who need to stop that. But there's also lots of us who are lazy at work. Maybe take a little extra break to buzz around social media when you know that's against the rules. Maybe watching some cat videos. That is one thing I don't struggle with, just for the record. Um, how many of us are stealing from our families by making poor financial decisions that are getting us further and further into debt just to accommodate a whim of a new car? We're to put off a lazy, self-entitled attitude when it comes to our finances. We're to get rid of an attitude of taking You see, Jesus, the greatest man's man when it's ever been, when it comes to work, he, he, he is so strong. I know some of you are like me. You like to make something. Man, it feels good. I, fin- I finished repairing a fence this week. Oh, my goodness. It felt so good to get that last board screwed up there after power washing and digging holes through roots. I didn't hit rocks. I don't know how that one happened. But, man, the satisfaction of putting that last board up took me two weeks. Jesus whipped out a universe in six days. He's not lazy. But think about his work. The scripture describes that his greatest work was an excruciating death for sin. He bore the guilt of humanity and he faced his task head on. He literally never procrastinated. The greatest accomplishment ever. Salvation for humanity. And he did it by his own misery. But look at at the, the very nature of what he did. His greatest work, the greatest thing he has ever done, wasn't just for the big payday for him. His greatest work was so that he might share it with you and with me. The greatest work in human history was done 
not for a paycheck. It was done to be completely given to others. That's how Christians think. That's how Jesus thinks. It's an attitude of such generosity we cannot imagine. So we're to put off our laziness. We're to put on a generous work ethic. See, work was created prior to the fall. Some of us think this work and the, the fact that we need a paycheck to survive is some element of sin. It's, it's wrong. It's corrupted. But that's not the Bible picture. The Bible picture is that God created Adam and Eve to cultivate and keep the garden. They worked prior to their sin. Work's not a byproduct of sin. Work being frustrating is a byproduct of sin. We're to put on a generous work ethic. We're to work hard so we might be able to give to our family, to our church, to our community. I thought back to um, some things I've heard of Dave Ramsey. I actually asked to confirm this, make sure this was right. But one of the things that Dave Ramsey have said they have seen in all their financial consulting is that if people don't develop a generous way of living, they're not likely to keep the financial decisions, the financial habits that they've started. If they don't become generous, they'll go back to poor financial stuff. So this side note, if you need some help with that, we'd love to do another financial piece uh, class this fall, help you all with some of that stuff, develop that. Elder Jeff Williams would love to chat with you about that. But we're to put off laziness. We're to put on a generous work ethic. Maybe your work is kicking up right now. I know, boy, it got busy around here this week. Put on a generous work ethic. Don't let lazy habits seep in, even in the craziness. So put off laziness. Put on a generous work ethic. And four, put off cursing. Put on blessing. Read with me uh, verses 27 through 30. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're to put off cursing. And I don't just mean curse words. Or to put off words that are corrupting. I mean, think about what corruption does. Think about a, a car sitting out. We're in Tennessee. We know where some cars are sitting out. It doesn't have the shiny factory finish that it once did. It gets a little dull. And gets spots of rust. Then it goes all rust. And then you start seeing the whole... That's what our talk can do to other living breathing children of God. Your talk is important. The words you say are significant. As a matter of fact, they're eternally significant. So put off all cursing and put on blessing. Think about Jesus' words. I went to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 in some of my meditations this week. Think about how he talks to people full of sin, who would crucify him. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you imagine the comfort of those words spoken to people who plan to execute you? The Bible tells us we're to speak the gospel. It it literally means good news. We're to put off cursing and we're to put on blessing. How many of your words line up with that? James in the scripture says it this way. The tongue is an evil fire and it it spreads. He describes all over the place. It says if anyone has mastered control of the tongue, he's mastered all things. And I know you would not say you got it all down yet. Think about your words. Those daily words. Are they cursing? Or is it blessing? The fifth thing. Put off bitterness and put on tenderness. Put off bitterness and put on tenderness. Verses 31 and 32. Read this last section of the passage with me. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Put off bitterness. That, That holding others to a standard, taking a pound of flesh from them, Making them pay for their actions? That doesn't line up with Scripture. You see, someone else paid for their actions. It was Jesus. He died for sin. And that includes your sin, but it's also that guy or lady that you're so angry at. You're so bitter at. And this doesn't mean a foregoing of accountability, so please hear me. Um, victims of abuse, victims of crime, we're not saying there's not accountability. But in your heart, are you still seeking a pound of flesh? Or will you, as the song from Sojourn um, Music says, bleed no more, there's no more left for me. Bleed no more. He died upon the tree. We don't extract the pound of flesh or the blood from someone else because it's already been paid for. See, Romans 5, 6-8 says this, For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were rebels, while we were against God, Christ died for us. So put away bitterness. Put on tenderness. Do the folks sitting with you watching this, do your co-workers think of you as having a tender heart to them? And that, that word just, it, it grabs me. It means so much. Is that you though? 
Have you put on the tenderness of Christ? I don't mean to be soft. I mean care. How many of you have so dug in your heels about your view, about how you think we should handle this coronavirus mess, that you don't even care about someone with a different view or maybe a different set of problems? I'm not asking whether you're right or not. I'm I'm not asking you to compromise your convictions. I'm asking you, stop being hard-hearted. Troy plays the drums really well. If I went over there and started beating those things, I mean, I'm going to use the hatchet tack. I mean, it's not going to sound good, right? Some of y'all sound like that. Not Troy, me, playing drums. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I mean, you can speak every... you got everything in the world to say to everyone. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Are you tender-hearted? So we conclude. Our worship team is going to come back up here. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy. And as you sing those words to a holy, 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 separate from sin is what that means, God. Do you realize God cares that same jesus cares about your daily mundane life our relationship to jesus is not like a vending machine giving out salvation we just got it we're good we got our card stamped to be saved is to be in christ so you do you love jesus enough are you in christ So that you might worship him by following him as a disciple in the little moments when that family member does something irritating. You want to pull the wool over your boss's eyes. You don't want to worship that holy God. Seeking to be like him because he is holy. You need to wonder if you're in Christ at all. We're going to pray. And I want to challenge you not to go out of this heavy and weighty and burdened, but hungry to put on Christ, to be in Christ, to put off the old, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new, to put on Christ. Father, we come and we thank You for Your Word. Lord, this is, this is a lot. I felt like I was getting hit over the head with a two by four all week. And I pray that that while we would have that pain, that sting of our sin, we wouldn't go into guilt. We wouldn't feel burdened, but we would feel released to put off the old because you died for that sin. Lord, that you would renew us by your spirit and then we would put on Christ. Dress us this week, God. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.